It is great to be with you today. We are kicking off a brand new series called A Generous Life. A Generous Life. I'm going to move this stand a bit, Paul. Is that all right? I'll move it now or I'll move it in a few minutes with my back, knocking it over. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the most interesting kind of results of this last couple years of pandemic have been the surprising way that some people have really leaned into serving their communities. That's true, right? Like you see that everywhere. I actually read an article in Forbes um, that said, and according to psychologists, during crises such as these, overwhelming kind of the big stuff, wars, natural disasters, pandemics like the one we have been living through, it seemed to make people either become more self-centered or, or they, it makes them display even greater acts of generosity towards their community. There's actually a name for this. It's called Catastrophe Compassion. That makes sense, right? Catastrophe compassion. When individuals immediately jump into action during times of crisis uh, with acts of kindness, uh, with service, with greater financial generosity. And we've seen this all over the place during the pandemic, right? There's been a million stories. I, I can still remember, you know, in week one of the pandemic at the church that I was at, I had people calling me up, how can I help? And we set up a we set up a food bank in a week, essentially, to gather stuff to help our community. We set up a phone tree so that we could deliver prescriptions to people in need, whatever was required. It was really fun during the early days of that to see these people kind of stepping up. That's cool, right? Awesome. Do you guys also remember, though, back in March 2020, the run on Costco? Yeah, it wasn't just in Canada that people were getting rolled for their toilet paper. Actually, they collected data on this. They found in 35 countries that despite the government making appeals to people, when people feel threatened, they're more likely to resort to panic buying and hoarding essential items like TP and hand sanitizer. So what is that? What is that saying? You guys maybe heard this before. People are like tea bags. Have you heard this? You don't know what's inside of them until you stick them in hot water. I know that's true because I've been in hot water before, as have you. This morning, we're going to look at one of the most profound and I think penetrating teachings of the scripture. I think this has the power to, to form us, not just for times of crisis, but actually for any time there is in your community the need for an input of grace. So we're going to dive into a new series today. Um, while we do, are there any preppers out there? Do you know what I mean when I say that? Oh, there's one. Somebody admitted I'm a prepper. Maybe you prefer the term survivalist. Do you know what a survivalist is? Okay, this is a true story. I actually have some friends who live just a couple doors down from Bruce Beach. Do you know who that is? Bruce Beach is the guy who buried 42 buses as part of constructing, listen to me, what is now North America's largest nuclear fallout shelter, Bruce Beach, largest anywhere in, anywhere in North America, and he lived just a couple doors down the street from our dear friends. I know what you're thinking at that, 42 buses, yeah, I would have stopped at 42, Dave, I don't know why he went to 42 from 40, but he took it seriously, whatever, whatever that means. So 
For 10 years, Luana and I pastored a church in Orangeville. And like I said, dear friends of ours lived a couple of properties down from Mr. Beach, down a side road in Shelburne, Ontario, Shelburne, near Orangeville. Okay, this is where this is, in case you want. I don't know if, I don't know if they do tours. Like, I honestly don't know. I would love to see inside that thing. Let me tell you about my friends, though. Every year, these friends of ours would host the whole church for picnics and parties and my favorite baptisms in their swimming pool. I've probably baptized dozens of people in that pool. And actually, I still have an open invitation from Gary and Mana to use the pool whenever I want. So like if we all wanted, we could all go and just show up at Gary and Mana's for a swim maybe in a few weeks once the thing's opened. Now, listen, I have never met Mr. Beach, and so I'm not trying to throw shade, but I will say this, how people prepare for hard times tells you a lot about what's going on inside them, right? Um, for sure. Some people bury buses and stockpile pickles, and other people dig swimming pools and invite the neighborhood. Um, if you have one, please go ahead and grab your Bible uh, or open up your smartphone. I really encourage you to follow along with the scriptures that we're going to talk about today. Grab your phone, open up the Bible app, and flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll give you a minute. This is Paul writing. This is what he says. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. But each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. And now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform, folks, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. And thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. God, would you open your word to us this morning as we study this text? Would you speak to our hearts, give us hearts that can hear from you, and we will give you all of the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, I read about a gal this week who worked with the Mazatec people in southwestern Mexico. Have you ever heard of the Mazatec people? Neither had I. Um, some of the most surprising things that she discovered during 40-plus uh, years working with their culture is that people in that culture seldom wish someone else well. 
Yeah, not only that, they're hesitant to teach one another. They don't share their faith with each other. And if asked, you know, who taught you how to bake? The village baker answered, I just know. Meaning they've acquired the knowledge somehow without anyone's help. Apparently this seemingly odd behavior stems from the Mazatec's concept of limited good. Limited good. How's that work? Um, you see people in any culture. This happens in any culture, in every culture. They kind of adopt a cognitive uh, orientation. A set of rules to help create order or reason in place of chaos. What do I mean by that? I was actually thinking about John chapter 9 when Jesus heals the man born blind. Do you guys remember that story? Jesus heals a man born blind. And when they uh, encounter this man, his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And you might read that and you think, what kind of a stone age superstitious mumbo jumbo is that? Like if you read that, you think, really? Like, who sinned? Are you kidding me? Maybe we don't know this. Maybe Jesus was thinking, what kind of Stone Age superstitious mumbo-jumbo disciples? He doesn't say that, fortunately. Jesus' response to their question was neither. And in my mind, he's thinking, are you kidding me? You're getting the cause and effect wrong. We try, as people groups, hard to figure out the cause and effect, don't we? We try and make sense of the events in our lives. We try and make sense of the, I don't know, the economies of this world. And, and so Jesus says, neither. He's trying to help them make sense of what they're seeing around them. You have the cause and effect wrong. Jesus explains, listen, sometimes things happen in this life so that God can reveal himself. His goodness, his greatness, his character, his power in our lives. That's Jesus' explanation of the economy of this world, this man's sickness. And I get it. Even what Jesus said, some of you might read that and think, that kind of sounds like superstitious mumbo-jumbo. Like, my kid could be born sick and God somehow is behind that? For some of you, that's a stretch, and I get that. Until, listen, until one day you recognize Actually, God's been pursuing you in hundreds of ways. Everywhere you turn, you start to see his fingerprints everywhere. And then something happens in your heart. Something happens in your mind. And all of the assumptions that used to guide your thinking under the surface, they just kind of change. How you understand how this world works just becomes differently when God starts to reveal himself, when you start to recognize God at work and you're like, I don't know why this happened, but I know that God can be in that. You see how that works? You see how this idea of, of cognitive orientation affects how we make sense of what's going on in the world. So listen, among the Mazatec people, there is this fundamental belief in limited good. Limited good. The notion of limited good tells them that there is only so much knowledge, so much love to go around. Yeah, so to teach another means you might drain yourself of knowledge. To, to love a second child means you, you have to love the first child less. Even to wish someone, you know, well, have a good day. 
God bless you, means that you've just given away some of your happiness, which cannot be reacquired. And, and it's not just the Mazatec people. There are cultures around the world that actually live this way. Surprising, isn't it? Yeah. Paul, on the other hand, says, remember this. He's trying to frame a, a, an economy for you. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So should I get a show of hands? Like, how do you guys feel about Paul's principle? Do you guys believe in the, 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 this principle or the law of sowing and reaping, as it's sometimes called? If you're not sure, that's okay. Let me try and tease it out a little bit. Let's try another one. How about this? Today is the father of tomorrow, and today's challenges are the child of yesterday's decisions. You're like, ah, I don't know, Daryl. Like it's a little bit more poetic, maybe, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. L let's try again. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, apparently. That's what the internet says. Um, sow a thought, and you reap an action. So an act, and you reap a habit. So a habit, and you reap a character. So a character, and you reap a destiny. Have you heard that before? Never, never something like that? But does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It kind of makes sense. Maybe. At least maybe makes sense. So in today's text, in chapter 8 and in chapter 9, Paul's describing this movement of generosity that had started sweeping across the early church. In uh, Acts chapter 11, actually, we're introduced briefly to a prophet named Agabus who predicted that there would be this great famine with all of the accompanying food shortages and, and I don't know, there's that saying that says never waste a good crisis. And so the church in Antioch at the time recognized this coming crisis as an opportunity for the church to really shine, to to demonstrate God's love in very practical ways. And so Paul and Barnabas and others, as they traveled and planted churches, they decided to collect offerings to support their sister or their parent church in Jerusalem in time for this coming famine. Does that make sense? So this church in Macedonia, who is actually a very poor church, they actually begged Paul to let them send a gift to the Jerusalem church who were going through the struggle. And he was so inspired that he kind of relented and said, all right, all right. And then he was so inspired by their generosity, he actually told all sorts of other churches about this amazing church in Macedonia. That's actually what he was doing when he was writing to the church in Corinth. He was getting them ready for this visit he was going to make because they had expressed that they too, the church in Corinth had said, you know, listen, we want to be part of this. We want to send a gift uh, to Jerusalem, to the church there in time for this famine. Um, and, and so they did. That's what's going on in this context. What you need to understand as we look at these two chapters is that Paul and the early church believe that generosity is catalytic. Yeah, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down. Generosity is catalytic. What does that mean? It means that what grows out of acts of generosity is actually greater than the cost of the gift itself. In Acts, Paul quotes Jesus, who says, it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. Have you heard that one before? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, do you believe that? <laughs> like, maybe. Some of you are like, no, I, 
I've learned something, Daryl. I, I kind of believe that. I believe it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. And so here in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, you reap what you sow. That means that the kind of life that you enjoy now and in the future is connected somehow to the character of your giving. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. This is more than a mindset. This kind of lives in your gut, right? It, 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 it takes residence in your heart. It's totally different than the idea of limited good, right? Limited good says that when you give something, you have less, right? You reap what you sow says what grows out of your giving, the fruit or the produce that grows out of generosity is better than the seed that you sow. So Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And each one of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so verse 7 tells us that even in Paul's day, there were some who exercised this incredible catastrophe compassion right, who got so much joy out of the practice of generosity, but there were some who struggled with it. Yeah, that's what verse 7 says. Some, some were struggled. And, and if you think about it, it is kind of surprising sometimes, isn't it, who gets good at giving? It's surprising, isn't it? Yeah, who gets good at giving? Chapter 8, verse 2, Paul says, in the midst of a severe trial, he says a very severe trial, these poor Macedonians, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up rich in generosity. Any, anyone good at math out there? Some of, anyone at all? Let's do the math together. Somehow, overwhelming joy or overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equaled rich generosity in the Macedonian church. That's kind of cool. That's some... That's some Hanky, cool mathematics right there. Um, it's actually pretty powerful as an example of generosity, right? It's generosity that bursts out of a position of relative poverty. That's surprising. Like, like those people who are barely making ends meet, but they always have room for one more at the table. You know anybody like that? Or that old timer who's so busy, but he's never too busy not to stop when he sees somebody on the side of the road in need and, and lend a hand, right? I know people like that. I know you do too. The Macedonians, folks, were inspiring, not just for how they gave generously despite their poverty, but for how they gave wholeheartedly. Listen, despite what we might call cultural complexity. Um, what do I mean by that, cultural complexity? Um, what's going on in, in this, this story, this event, I imagine that it might look like if the church in the Ukraine right now started taking up an offering to send to the church in Russia. Okay, and, and listen, maybe, maybe that's too grand an example, okay? But despite their shared faith, there was some pretty complicated political and cultural history between sort of these people groups between the, the folks that are part of these two churches that they had to overcome, the Jews and the Greeks, or the Jews and the Roman Christians. They, listen, they, they shared unity of the faith. They had this heartbeat um, as a church that was inspiring. But 
Um, but, but it wasn't without some complexity to overcome. And I think that's why it was so inspiring. And it shows this. This is the first principle from this. Generosity grows from your heart. It doesn't depend on the size of your bank account or the stockpile in your bus. That's true. It is. Generosity comes from the heart. It has to come from the heart. I know that there's other things that can tend to make it complex depending on the, the, the framework or the, your, your cognitive orientation and all that kind of stuff. But generosity flows from the heart. And in this instance, this kind of generosity just kind of gives from an open heart and an open hand. Doesn't, doesn't take all the time to do the math. It just flows from the heart. So what do I mean by that? In uh, chapter 8, verse Paul, uh, excuse me, 8, verse 4, Paul says that they urgently pleaded with us. Paul says, talking about this Macedonian church, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. They had to beg. Come on, Paul. You, you gotta let us send something, Paul. Like we, we took up an offering, Paul. Like we, we passed the hat, Paul. You gotta let us be part of this. And I bet Paul tried to talk him out of it. Like you guys are so good, but like you need this. Like, come on, you guys, you need this. It's kind of like when your kid brings out their piggy bank when they hear about you talking about a car repair bill. Right? They, they were going through so much themselves, but they still wanted to give. And listen, it's not wrong to wrestle with the calculus of capacity. You know what I mean when I say that? It's not, it's not wrong to just say, yeah, but like times are tough. There's just not two coins to rub together. The ends don't meet. It's not wrong to wrestle with that. It's not wrong to wrestle with the, the or to weigh the respective needs. That's, that's probably good stewardship, right? And we have to whole of life. But there's still something, I don't know, kind of cool. Something Christ-like about giving for the joy of generosity, regardless of perceived merit, regardless of, I don't know, perceived capacity there's something cool paul says it's gut check time yeah verse seven it's gut check time here's why generosity does its best work when it's exercised freely open hands open hearts paul says each one of you you just decide for yourselves right just give what you've decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver, just so there's no theological confusion out there. God loves a grumpy old cuss, too. He does, I'm just saying. He loves you, too. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He, he loves you, too. There's just something about this. There's something about a cheerful giver that touches the heart of God. And, and I think this is something worth paying attention to. Something worth reflecting on, actually, when, when it confronts you. So here's how I've done this. When, whenever I recognize something going on in my heart that feels like reluctance or serving under compulsion, it happens to everybody. It, and not just every Monday. I'm not, talk, I'm not just talking about that. Yes, certainly Monday mornings. But more like when you do something, you know, that you don't like to do because no one else is willing to do it and your attitude is lousy. Has it ever happened to you? No, Daryl. No, I never serve with a bad attitude. Parents of teenagers know what I'm talking about here. Um, sorry, teenagers. Um, maybe, maybe when you put a ton of energy into something, maybe even hours 
uh, for a project or a special event and then someone on the sideline emails you to tell you the music was too loud. Did you guys ever turn around and look at their sound guys up there? Give them a big wave and a thank you for their hard work out there. You guys are nailing it up there. Good job. Listen, whenever I start to smell something in my heart going bad, right, that feels like reluctance or feels like serving under compulsion, I look for something I can do to show cheerful generosity. Yeah, the prescription that I do, cheerful generosity. So what do I mean by that? Pay it forward in the Tim Hortons drive-thru, right? You guys know that it's just like, hey, I want to get the guy behind me. But it's like a whole family. It's $37. No, no, it's all good. I'm, I'm good for it. And you're like, shoot, generosity could have been cheaper. I thought it was a couple of coffees. No, no, that's a good one. Do that. Find a toilet to clean, somebody. Right? An odd job to do at church that no one else is doing but really needs to be done or where I can unexpectedly help somebody. Find someone in need that you can serve, someone who can never repay you. Just find someone that you can bless. That's the prescription, right? Why does this work? Why does that kind of stuff, a little act, a simple act, it's trivial. Why does that actually work? I'll tell you why. Because God's generous love is cruciform. You guys may have heard me use that word before. I want you to know that word. God's love is cruciform. You can imagine what that means. It's cross-shaped and it will shape you. That's what cruciform means. It's cross-shaped and it will shape you. So when I feel reluctance, like I'm serving under compulsion, I try and find a place in my life where I can sow a seed of cheerful, sacrificial generosity in my marriage or in the community or for someone in need, sometimes for someone I have never met before. And listen, I hope it blesses them, but I know it's going to bless me. I really do. I genuinely hope it will bless and encourage them. I always hope, God, I hope the guy behind me gets the next guy too. Like, I hope this starts a chain reaction of pay it forward in Tim Hortons. My secret goal, like some people want a Wikipedia, some people want the star on the Walk of Fame. I just want a day, 24 hours of a movement of Tim Hortons pay it forward. I want it to not stop. I want them to have to call the press because so many people are paying it forward in Tim Hortons you guys aren't as inspired by that as I am, apparently. <laughs> like, I, whatever I choose, I hope it blesses them, but I know it's going to bless me. So what happens? Let's talk about that. What happens when you practice sowing generosity or cultivating this kind of generosity in your life? In one translation, Paul says it like this. God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able, in the NIV, to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, listen, I know, like I know how some of you have some things going on in your life. I know. I just hope you won't miss this because Paul says in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I know you might not see it right now, but when you look back on your life, you will be amazed how often you discovered that you had more than enough. That's just how this works. That's how this works. Come on, I get it. Listen, everyone goes through times in their lives when it feels like there is limited good to go around. That's it. Like, I'm not promising you a Cadillac this morning. Don't misunderstand this text. 
I'm not promising that life will be sunshine and roses. Everybody goes through times when it feels like there is limited good. I'm just saying what this text is saying. Those who practice generosity learn that God's grace in their lives is an unlimited grace. His grace has no end. You can't outgrace God. Paul says, because he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. If you're taking notes, write this one. You'll discover that God is your supply. I know that's a stretch for some of you. It is. Um, you're not, listen, you're not the limited good type. Okay, I'm not, I know you're not that. I know you're not the limited good type. You're just the she works hard for the money type. So you better treat her. That's for free. Now that song's in your head all day. I know that's, that's it. Um, she works hard for the money. You better treat her right. Listen to what the Bible says. You may say to yourself, my power and, and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. This is part of the covenant relationship between God and his people. It confirms the covenant which he swore to your ancestors, as it is to say, Christians believe that it's our good God who feeds the birds of the air. And it's our good God who feeds you too. And are you not much more valuable than they are? Do you remember that, what Jesus taught? It is God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Uh, and the more you grow in this, if you're taking notes, write this down, God will fundamentally change how you view stuff. Yeah, God will fundamentally change how you view stuff. Uh, verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. I wonder if some guys on the back here know, in the diet and nutrition world, there's an acronym, SAD. Do you guys know, have you heard that before? SAD? Do you know what it stands for? It's the standard American diet. Sad. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Sad. The standard American diet. So what happens when you eat the standard American diet? Now listen, that's where the debate is. Okay, there is some debate at what happens when you eat the standard American diet. I'll just tell you that some people think that when you eat the standard American diet, you have a pretty good chance at becoming a standard American. Uh, what does this mean when I say that? Three out of four Americans are overweight. 11% have diabetes, 38 are pre-diabetic. They're on the path to diabetes, almost inevitable. One person dies every 36 seconds in the United States from cardiovascular disease. That's one in every four deaths. Cardiovascular disease. Listen, I'm not a doctor, okay? Everybody, no, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nutritionist. Probably obvious to you, unless I've been sucking it in today. I'm also not a mathematician, but it does make you want to try and do the math, though, doesn't it? Right? Try and see. It looks like there might be a connection if you were to do the math. So I'm going to do this for you. As your pastor, I'm going to do some math for you. Ready? He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of H of R, harvest of your righteousness. Folks, I've been pouring over these numbers. 
And any way you slice it, you get into trouble when you eat what God gave you to plant. That's what this is. You're not supposed to eat every cake God puts in front of you. Some of you are this. Some of you, I know you. You're like, anyone want to admit that they're an eat the whole cake kind of person? Yeah, a little bit. Eat the whole cake. I saw a meme where the, the, they're talking to the cat. And the cat's like, sorry, the instructions say you only get a half a can. And then the cat says, yeah, but the instructions surely don't say you can eat half the pack of Oreos, pal. <laughs> How would your world change if the next promotion you got, instead of thinking a boat on a lake in Muskoka, you thought a well in a village in Africa. How would your world change if your first thought was something different? Or a kids camp for First Nations kids in Northern Ontario, right? Or a new classroom for our kidsmen to replace the old portables at the back of our church. How about this? Affordable housing so our assistant pastor doesn't end up sleeping in a doghouse. I'm telling you, your world will change if your first thought starts to be a little bit different. How, how so? Here's what happens. Your life becomes a garden. Your life becomes a garden and your impact will outlive you. It will. What's the principle? You should absolutely relish the blessing that God gives you. You should relish what God gives you to eat. You're allowed to, even if it's a boat. All of you who have boats out there, man, enjoy that. Suck the marrow out of life. Enjoy what God gives you to eat, but so generously what God gives you to share. What God gives you to share, right? He'll actually, verse 10 says, multiply what you're able to share. This is crazy. It's crazy. You'll be amazed at the harvest, the fruitfulness of your life, Paul says, God will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That's a little crazy, right? Folks, generosity isn't just good, it's right. It's right. A life spent practicing righteous generosity will enjoy harvest after harvest after harvest, and then you'll die with an enlarged, but really healthy heart. Maybe not enlarged in the bad way. A large, healthy heart, and people will tell stories of you. My friends Gary and Mon are still alive. This is not a eulogy for them. But man, when I think about all of the lives that have been touched by Gary and Mana because of the incredible generosity that they just show in a hundred ways in their lives, how many Tears have been shed at their kitchen table for coffee or tea. How many people have moved into the guest room in their house? How many people baptized in their pool? Do you know they actually have a garden in the side of their yard for people who live in town and don't have space for the kind of garden they hope for? They come to Gary and Mana's and work their garden. Folks, whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously also reaps generously, and ultimately, listen, it really is up to each one of us to decide how we want to live. It's totally up to each one of us to try and figure it out, prayerfully discern uh, what it looks like, and you really can choose to store up supplies in your buried bus. 
if you want. Um, but you can also open your heart and your home to the people around you. And incredible things just happen when you cultivate a generous heart. And a generous heart has to be cultivated. It does. Actually, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where mo- or under the earth, I suppose, if you're going to bury a bus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin or moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the big one, the kicker. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you remember I said earlier that God's love is cruciform, right? It's cross-shaped and it will shape you. When Jesus says here that your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he's actually saying that money will shape you too. That's how it works. Money has the same power to shape you too. And, and Jesus gives us a cool promise here. He says, God gets a bigger part of your heart just when you try to live to share more than to store. That's pretty cool. Let's pray. God, that's our desire. That's our hearts. We want our whole hearts to honor you. We want to live with wholehearted devotion to you. And so, God, we ask that you would help us on days when this feels hard. Help us when it feels hard. Help us to build our lives Uh, on your cruciform love. Help us to trust you with faith in this area when it gets hard, and, and God, most of all, because you're worthy. And God, we also pray that you'd give us the same kind of overwhelming or overflowing joy in our generosity as that really cool church in Macedonia. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.